In this episode, we talk about providing students with choices in the language classroom. Now, have you tried this, or are you curious about the benefits and how to manage it all? Well, I'm joined today by Maureen Lamb, a Latin and ancient Greek teacher in Connecticut, who shares what she's doing with choice in her classroom with guidance for all of us to try it out in our classrooms. So let's jump in. Are you a language teacher looking for some reassurance that what you're doing in the classroom is on the right track? Or maybe you're looking for some ways to teach even more effectively. If you're one or the other or somewhere in between, you've landed in the right place. This is the World Language Classroom Podcast with your host, me, Joshua Cabral. You're about to get tips, tools, and resources so that your students continue to rise in proficiency and communicate with confidence. Let's jump in. Vamos, allons-y. Hello, my friends. Bonjour, mes amis. Hola, mis amigos. Welcome to the World Language Classroom Podcast. I am Joshua Cabral, and thank you for listening, because that means that you're a teacher that wants to look at what you're doing in the classroom, learn from other teachers, and it's just, that's what makes you an incredible educator. So thank you for tuning in each week to be a part of these conversations. And Real quickly, you know, I always have to ask you, make sure that you're pressing subscribe or follow on whatever app you're on, because that's how you'll make sure to get all these episodes when they come out. And it's always nice to leave a review, you know, so other teachers can hear about the podcast as well. So now let's jump into our topic for today. And it's about student choice. And when I think of this, for me, it's really rooted in this idea of motivation. Like, how are students going to learn best. And it's when they're motivated. And it seems to me that this idea of choice is one of those pieces of the motivation. Now, it's not going to be everything, obviously, but it's a piece of that. So to have this conversation, I am joined today by Maureen Lamb, who is going to offer so many wonderful strategies and insights on this topic. So Maureen Lamb is a Latin and ancient Greek teacher. This is my first Latin and ancient Greek teacher on the podcast. And she's also the department chair and the technology coordinator in her school. So she wears a couple of hats. She's in West Hartford, Connecticut at the Kingswood Oxford School, and she's been teaching for about 15 years. And if you've been to the CT Colt conference or Nectful or Actful or maybe some Google events, you have come across her name. You've seen her present on educational technology, CI, student choice, all of these wonderful things. And she was also part of Nectful. She was a Mead Fellow which is a fellowship for teachers to do action research like in their classrooms and to figure out ways to go about things and have mentors and then present on it at the conference. And she is now a mentor in that program. So she's sort of come full circle. So that's a lot of information about Maureen Lamb because she is just a wonderful educator. And I am so excited to have her with us today to talk about student choice. So, okay, I'm going to stop talking about you now, Maureen, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you were able to do this. This is fantastic. So I have talked a lot about kind of who you are, and I'm sure that there are some little pieces in there that I may have missed. So can you fill in any of the blanks about the Maureen Lamb teaching experience for us? Sure. I was a Connecticut uh, Teacher of the Year for Languages in 2016-2017, which taught me a lot and 
gave me a lot of connections to some wonderful people to learn from, which was really great. I'm also the mom to two kids, uh, two little girls. And so that really (laughs) has been kind of a trial by fire as an Mm -hmm, educator mm -hmm. and kind of trying out things. They do understand a lot of Latin. I speak some Latin to them, which is so fun. Mm -hmm. But I'm just excited to be here because I'm really passionate about helping educators. And I teach graduate school classes um, through Idioma on teaching world language educators, which is awesome. And so I love being able to kind of share and learn and brainstorm with other teachers. So I'm super excited for this opportunity. I'm always interested, particularly with language teachers, how they came to the language that they teach. So sort of what brought you to Latin and ancient Greek? I actually wrote my college essay on this back in the day, and it's because of bedtime stories. My parents didn't tell me like Jack and the Beanstalk or anything like that. They would tell me ancient myths, and that's how I got interested in mythology. And when you're interested in mythology, I mean, what better way to learn than being able to read about it in the original? I wanted to take Latin so that I could read Ovid's Metamorphoses. I wanted to take Greek so that I could read the Iliad and the Odyssey in ancient Greek. And I've gotten to do all of that, which has been so exciting. Mm-hmm. And it's so fun for me now being a mom, being able to read those stories to my daughters. They, Oh my goodness, they know myths so well. It's so great. It's awesome. So our topic now we're going to jump into is about student choice. And I had mentioned earlier that I kind of see it couched in this idea of motivation. I'm sure that will come up as we're going through, but let's start by going in the weeds a little bit back to the the beginning of this journey with you. Sure. What led you into making this idea of choice a part of the learning experience in your classroom? It's exactly what you said. There's a wanting for motivation. And specifically for me, it started out with homework motivation. I think I did my research in graduate school on homework because it's such a loaded topic and there's so much out there about homework, not specifically for Latin, but for kind of the connections between language learning and homework. And so trying to figure out how can I motivate my students to do homework and how can I find ways to make homework effective for all students? And so what I came to over lots of trial and error was creating opportunities for students to choose their homework. Right now, I call it the homework playlist that I give them. And so they can go through, I have about five or six things on that playlist that they can do, and they get to choose. Do they want to review a Quizlet? Do they want to watch a video of me explaining what we went over that day? Do we want, they want to play a book it? Just what really works for them? What is something that's going to get them to extend their learning outside of class time? Giving them the agency and the motivation to do it I find that students are way more likely to do their homework. And I've actually stopped grading homework this year. I read Grading for Equity over the summer, and it blew my mind a little bit. All these things I thought that I was doing right, like giving extra credit and stuff like that, was totally not helping my students. And so by doing things like retaking parts of assessments to look for skills and stuff like that, and giving students more choice and not grading homework, It really made a huge difference, I think, in my students' learning and made it so that they had a lot more agency over their learning. And I was having such success with doing the homework choice that I actually moved it to different activities in class for choice. So sometimes we even will have a playlist in class. So students will come in and instead of a do now, there'll be four or five activities. And that actually merged into doing station rotation model. So now then students can choose like which station they start at and move through 
the different activities. And one of the stations would be with me so that I can kind of check in and see how they're doing. And then other stations would be things that would be on their computer or something kinesthetic. So a lot of different choices for students. And then (laughs) that was going so well that I started doing assessment choice. And at first it was little things in assessment choice, little things that would give students agency. For example, writing 15 questions and having students pick 10 to do, or having four sections of a test and having students pick three of the four sections to complete and making sure my math was right so that it would all still add up to 100. Uh, But it worked out. And then I was really trying to teach more towards proficiency. And you don't hear often about a lot of Latin and ancient Greek teachers teaching for proficiency, but that's what I decided to do. And so now I do something where students are doing their skills, such as their uh, interpretive skills or interpersonal skills or presentational skills, but now they have a choice about what they can do to demonstrate those skills. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of the culmination of student agency is after students have gone through the learning process, then they can show what they know and choose how they're going to do that. Already so much I want to unpack from what you just said, <laughs> I have to say. That's a lot. <laughs> no, no, it's it's great. It's great because I'm already thinking very differently about the word choice based on some things that you said. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times like the the idea of a choice board, it's usually something done as homework. It's right. sort of a choice with homework. And just you pointing out that having stations in the room that they're choosing in that place gave me a different mindset already that 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 involves choice as well. Mm-hmm. And at the very beginning, you said that you figured things out through trial and error. These are your successful trials we're hearing about. And I'm just yeah. curious if you don't <laughs> mind, because I think teachers that are sort of in the trenches trying to figure this mm-hmm. stuff out, like what were some of the errors that happened? They were like, that that didn't that didn't work. I shouldn't do that. Just in case there's a teacher listening who might be doing that. And they're like, oh, yeah, maybe I shouldn't. Okay, here are some ones that did not work. (laughs) I've done student choice with novellas for a very long time. So I decided to do book clubs with my novellas and then have students choose their own books. But they all chose just to be with their friends and then they would just chit chat with their friends the whole time. And so now I do books based on interest and try to keep the chattier friend groups probably in different groups and kind of manipulate it just a tad bit so that it's more effective learning time. They still get some choice in the matter, but mm-hmm. it's a little it's a little more directed, let's say. Mm-hmm. I also tried a choice board that did not go over as well that was point-based. So uh, there were a bunch of activities on there that added up to 100. And I made the mistake of not saying that students couldn't repeat activities. So some of them just did the five point activities 20 times. And so it was completely my bad. And I really should have understood that that was not going to be an effective learning process. I switched from that later on. Um, Someone had made this really cool slide deck. I can't remember who. I wish I could credit them on the Floor is Lava show. And so what I did was I made a choice board as lava where students had to get different pieces of furniture to go across the board, let's say. And that was more effective. And that's, I, that kind of went to that after I did the points. And that seemed to be a better way of doing it because they could only use each piece of furniture once. So that way they could only use one once. And I have to credit Amy Bernard Mason because she had a choice board that was color coded and students had to choose 
two or three different items of different colors. And I felt like, oh, that's good. That's a way to really vary it up. And so what I did was I took that and I adapted it, but the different colors were different skills. So let's say one's, one is an interpretive skill, another color would be an interpersonal skill, and another color would be a presentational skill that students would have to demonstrate. Okay. So a point of clarification when you were yes, talking about the uh, one of the errors was when you <laughs> first did the, the novellas. Right. So essentially... I want to make sure I understood this right and correct me if I'm wrong. Of course. But that was more of students were choosing the content to focus on. And now it's your, you have your content and they're mm-hmm. choosing how they engage with it. Would that be right? Oh, for the novella book clubs? Or anything really. So oh, when, you're, sure. when you're looking at choice, are they choosing content or you have the content that the entire class is going to be focusing on Mm -hmm. and they're making choices about how to engage with it or are they choosing content I would say both things so sometimes they're choosing content so for example when I'm having students choose what skills they're demonstrating they have choice about which passages they're going to use or which text they're going to use and focus on for that I also have students choose when it comes to some of the projects that I do. I do a modified genius hour project with my Latin three course that I call the fun 45 because I don't like the name genius hour, but it's an eight week research project I do with them and they can pick. This is another blunder. I'm going to, I'm going to be honest about the first year I did it. They could pick anything they wanted to in the ancient world. And that got a little bit complicated. So In years following, I picked a broad topic that they had to choose from and came up with some ideas with them within that broader topic. And that seemed to work a lot better because then I wasn't pulling every book off my shelf. I was just kind of limiting it a little bit, which was nice. And so some of them in the past, one of the topics, one one group of students was really into the underworld. So they all did research projects based on the underworld, again, using authentic Latin resources and archaeology to back up their claims. This year, students decided to do Roman holidays, which was really interesting. Some of the holidays were things that I was slightly familiar with, but I didn't really, it hadn't really dug into. So it was pretty cool that students were looking at the Latin and the archaeological evidence for that. And that's something that students do. And they come back to me and say, that's what they remember from Latin class. So it's been very cool to add in that student choice mm-hmm. and to see kind of where students go from that and where they grow from that. Um, and so that's been very, very cool for me. That's a great project. And if anyone wants anything from that, I'm happy to share freely because I think it's important. Yeah. So that actually opens up uh, my next question here. Mm-hmm. And it's about what has been the the benefits and the results of providing choice. And I hear from that, that they're remembering it because they were invested in it. Um, mm-hmm. So sort of overall in your class, if you think back to before you were giving so much choice and now, what has been the result of that for your students in your classroom? I would think that a lot of the choice are the things where students feel like they have agency. I always felt like students had agency when they were doing projects, but I couldn't do completely project-based learning just because of the amount of content I have to cover given the nature of the AP Latin exam. And so by able, by being able to give students this choice, students had that agency and that motivation to do a project and then be really happy about it or do an activity and feel like they had some agency in that activity and choosing what they did and how they learned and demonstrated that learning. 
And again, for me, I think that demonstrating learning is really the culmination of choice because that's them choosing to show these are the skills I acquired and here is me saying, hey, this is what I can do. So it's pretty cool to see that. That's the best part for me. It's taking that motivation from an extrinsic to an intrinsic mm-hmm. uh, as you're going through. Very, v- right. I'm, th- I'm thinking Vygotsky right now. I'm thinking all these <laughs> Vygotsky's outer ZPD and everything mm-hmm. right now is going through my right. head with this. So you had mentioned that you had started by looking at homework. You mentioned mm-hmm. some stations in your classroom what are some various ways that you're offering options? And if you could also tell us like how many choices are you giving for a particular assignment and what they might look like so we can wrap our brains around this and really understand what it's like. I would say for homework, usually I give about five choices, four or five, depending for the homework playlists. I would say for doing choice of activities in the classroom. So usually I do three stations and my classes are pretty long. So they're usually 60 minutes or 75 minutes. So it's wonderful to be able to do 15 minute stations after doing kind of a 15 minute intro. So I love to do station rotation if I'm having a 75 minute block. That's one of my favorite things to do just to make sure students are kind of cycling through things. For assessment, it really depends. I I could have a huge board that I would make Um, For some assessments and for some other assessments, I could have only three or four choices. For my Latin test tomorrow, they have three choices. And some of them are far more in-depth than others. And one of them is a very traditional test with multiple choice and translation. Another one is they're doing a journal entry where they have to link each section of the text that we read to different essential questions. Another one is to create cartoons. So it's just coming at it from different ways of interpreting the text. It's an interpretive assessment. So giving them three different options for demonstrating their interpretive skills of this text. I'm curious now, now we're getting into truly that student perspective and Mm -hmm. that experience from the student point of view. If my zone of genius, I know you didn't want to say genius hour earlier, but I'm going to say my zone of genius is the interpretive reading choices. And so I always go for those. So how do you manage a student that is always going for the same choices? Or is that totally fine? They will always have interpretive choices. And then another assessment would be interpersonal and another assessment would be presentational. So they wouldn't get to choose just one of those. But I would say there are some students that choose traditional exams because that's what works for them. And I'm okay with that. If that's Mm -hmm. what they feel comfortable doing, then by all means. But for the students for whom the alternative assessment is really the way they can show what they know, I feel like it's really important to have that so they can demonstrate their knowledge. Because not all students learn the same way. And so maybe you have those kind of like four percenters who are awesome and want to do all the translation all the time. But you have those other students who know what's going on, that the translation is either too stressful for them or just doesn't work for them. And so by giving them another means to demonstrate, I understand what's going on in this text, that's a way for them to show what they know and get acknowledgement for having um, achieved that skill. Do students know what the choices are in advance, particularly for an assessment? 
Yes, they do. I don't want any surprises on my assessments ever. Students even have a full practice assessment before most assessments, just so they know exactly what is expected of them. I don't want any gotcha questions, and I want to be assessing students always on the content and their skills, never on the types of questions asked, so they always know what to expect. I'd like to talk about the logistics of it a bit, uh, Mm -hmm. because I think this is going to be what is top of mind for teachers listening to this who haven't really grappled with this idea of choice Mm -hmm. and how to manage it all. And the first question with that is, in terms of placing letter grades or number grades, I'm not sure what you do in your school, but traditionally that's what teachers are going to have to do in their schools. Are you assigning the same letter number value to the different choices? And help us understand that a little better. I would say that, yes, I do assign um, letter values, or in this, in my case, number values usually that get transformed into letter values to student work. And when I'm assigning student work, I come up with rubrics that I share with students in advance so they know exactly what's expected. Again, no surprises, and they know how they're going to be graded. And so they know in advance what the expectations are, what they need to do to be successful. And I think that's really what's important. Again, no surprises, just really making sure students understand expectations. Sometimes I model things for students. So for example, if they're going to be doing some sort of kind of alternative assessment and they're not really sure exactly what that should look like, I might model that for them by creating something so that they can take a look at it of another passage, not the passage they would be evaluated on, but just so that they can see exactly what would be expected for that. But I think in terms of grading, They would be all receiving letter grades at the end of the day, but they might be graded on different rubrics. They might be graded a little bit differently, just depending on what they choose. And I'm speaking broadly just because there can be so many different things that can be offered that there's no kind of one size fits all answer to this question, if that makes sense. Right, right. No, I, I hear that. Uh, I think that often when teachers are trying something new, it always, I shouldn't say always, but it often feels like it's very overwhelming to go into it, you know, and to hear you talk about, well, there are five choices for this. And so I'm sure teachers are thinking, so I have to come up with five different assessments instead of one assessment. And I'm, I've, I've done some of this choice stuff myself. And what I've found is there are those things you can reuse. First off, you can use it for the units going forward. Like if you ever do that unit again, you have them. But also, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, the idea that you have some of the choices that will work for any unit, like they go for any of the content that you're doing. So there are there some choices like that that are able to be easily modified or just you know, put onto other content that teachers could use. Could you tell us about some of those? I think that probably the number one that that I use over and over again are cartoons. I feel like that's a really cool way for students to show that they understand the text is creating a cartoon. And so they'd have the language in the caption and then they would illustrate the language above the caption. And that could be using Google drawing, that could be using storyboard that, or I have some very talented artists who like to draw their own pictures. And so there's a lot of different ways to do it. And I 
practice this with my students using whiteboard file in class. So I'll give them one sentence at a time and have them show this. So I don't like to give any choices that we haven't gone over in class as kind of an informal activity. Nothing that is being evaluated, but just something that we have gone over together. Even if it's just bits and pieces of what the choice will be, I find that, that it's really helpful to go over kind of the components of demonstrating the skill in class before students are doing the culminating activity. Mm -hmm. And so they become very comfortable with that. That's definitely one I use a lot. Also doing different retells. Now, these can be everything from doing retell with pictures, doing a retell that's modernizing something, doing a retell with emojis, or the ones a couple of my students did today, they were laughing out loud. They were retelling the story with memes and they were just giggling at themselves because they were having so much fun. Um, it was very cool to see. The, and only two students chose it, but they were so excited and showing their friends afterwards. And it was just really cool to see that. So definitely doing things with story retells. Another thing I like to do for interpersonal activities is I like to have an in-class debate. I generally use kind of the spider rag activity activity where I write out all their names and kind of go from name to name and have I have my own little symbols for what like an excellent contribution is or what like oh maybe that person talked too long or maybe that person didn't talk enough but that's just something we do in class and then what I grade is them doing it on Google Classroom they type it all out and so that's something I do often so because I feel like when they're going through the discussion in class then they're kind of kind of throwing ideas around, getting some getting some feedback and going through it. But then when they're being evaluated on it, that's when they can type it out. And there are some students who don't talk in those types of situations very much. And so I like to give them the opportunity to show what they know as well. I'm curious about the rest of your department, your colleagues, mm -hmm. and are they doing something with choice in their classrooms as well? Or is it kind of a, a one-off? I'm just, I'm just curious about the collaboration that can happen with this. We did this during the pandemic as kind of a final project for students was giving them some choice. But at the time, it worked for some people and it didn't work for other people. So we've moved instead to having students do an interpretive task, an interpersonal task, and a presentational task for the final assessment. And that seems to be working well. And um, I've actually honed that a lot. I work with um, my, my, Dr. Michael Orlando on doing choice with proficiency. And we've done a lot of really cool research and figuring out choice boards and things like that. So I'm very inspired by my work with him in creating this. It's been very cool. One of the things that came out of the pandemic experience of teaching, I've very much, if you've heard me talking on the podcast before about this, that yes, challenging pandemic teaching, but what were those opportunities that came out of it? And I think that because there was hybrid going on, there was some a lot of Zoom and the entire class that teachers started doing a lot of things like choice boards that students were able to do on their own and with that choice. And I don't know that so many teachers would be continuing to do it now if they didn't have the opportunity, if you want to look at it that way during the pandemic, to look at that option. You know, so it's yeah. it's really good that like that's something that's that's come out of it, you know, and granted, yes, it, it was it's been challenging times, but there's been some lemonade made from those lemons. And I think that this idea of choice is is one of them. Absolutely. And I think that during the pandemic, students were in all different situations. And so having choice 
was just a more equitable way to, ma to make sure students were still engaged with the material. And I think that many teachers are saying that even continuing with choice is a great way to keep students engaged with material and eventually demonstrate how they understand the material. Mm -hmm. So I think it's something that's not necessarily going away, but I do agree. I think it came to the forefront because of the pandemic, which is fantastic in some ways. Again, lemonade out of the lemons. Um, I really, I like that. That's a really good way of putting it because it's something that's definitely benefited my students. I see the level of confidence and my students really go up when they're doing something like this. And I appreciate that because I think it's really difficult for some of them right now. And so to have something they're confident about and proud of is really important. So speaking of confidence and being proud, I would be really interested to hear where your inspiration continues to come from. I can tell with you talking about this, your whole demeanor, you're very excited about it. So something is keeping you inspired with your teaching. Where's that coming from? The students, the students keep me motivated. I do it because I love working with students and I love seeing the light bulbs. I love seeing them grow confident in themselves. And I am so fortunate that I get to teach many of my students for four years. So I really get to know my students in a way that other teachers don't. And I'm so grateful for that because I get to see them grow and learn and do things that they didn't even think they could do at the beginning. And it's mm -hmm. just wonderful to see that. And I'm just grateful that I am able to teach every day. And I'm lucky to have my job. I feel even mm -hmm. in this time when it's really challenging to be a teacher, I'm still in love with my job, which is a pretty cool thing. Mm -hmm. So this is the point in our conversation where I like to do what I call pulling the teacher curtain back a little bit <laughs> and getting to know Maureen. Uh, the the wonderful human being and not just the teacher. Uh, so we're going to do a little game I call this okay. or that. I'll give you two awesome. choices. You choose one, maybe say why, gives us a little bit of insight into you. You ready for this? Okay, let's okay. go. Up for it. Okay, so the first one. If you have the opportunity to purchase a new home, would you get the fixer-upper or do you want the move-in ready? Ooh, well... I have very little practical skills. I was a classics and music major with opera performance. So I can't do many practical things. So I'm going to have to pick move and ready. Mm -hmm. <laughs> See, this is why I really enjoy these questions because at no other point in this discussion would we have talked about the fact that you studied opera, you know, <laughs> and that came out because I asked you if you would do carpentry in a new home. You know, it's so true. It's great. I don't have any real skills. <laughs> My mom was like, please become a no, lawyer or something. No, I'm you like, oh, you I have know. lots of real <laughs> skills, just not applicable to that particular task. <laughs> All right. So the next one, uh, when it comes to art, are you more drawn to sort of sculpture and pottery or drawings and paintings? That is a really cool question. I think the classicist in me loves pottery and sculpture. But if I'm walking through a museum and I just want to see something beautiful, I love paintings. I was so fortunate to go to art classes when I was a kid at the um, Boston Museum of Fine Arts. And just, I remember just spending hours looking at the paintings. They were so beautiful. So yeah, I think that's a bad answer to your question because no, it doesn't really good. answer it. But 
I, uh, I spent, yeah, I was very lucky. My mom would like schlep us on weekends up to the MFA, but it was great. Yeah, these questions are less about a right or wrong answer and more about knowing <laughs> what you did as a child and your mom schlepping you to the art museum and you studying <laughs> opera. All these things come out of these questions. Uh, so the the last one is if you're watching a TV show or a movie, are you going to opt for the comedy or the drama? Well, it depends. If I'm watching something with my husband, it'll almost always be the comedy. But if it's me, I like British murder mysteries, like things like that. And with my cup of tea, because I'm I secretly want to be a little old British lady. So uh, <laughs> so we are officially kindred spirits because <laughs> British murder mysteries are totally my thing. Oh my gosh, you oh, should yeah. exchange yeah. shows. Like, awesome. On uh Amazon Brit Box, it is it is my everything, everything. All I of the it. British all murder the mysteries. <laughs> oh that my is goodness. So good. See, wouldn't have learned that about you otherwise. Right? True. <laughs> <laughs> so that is wonderful. So my guess is that there are teachers listening right now that are being inspired to try out some choice in their with their students, and they might want to reach out to you to get some of your further insights or to learn more about you and what you're doing. So what's the best way for teachers to connect with you? I have an email address, latintechtools at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter, at latintechtools. So feel free to reach out either way. I will respond. And I really will respond. I I did a Quizlet webinar a couple months ago now, and I got over 100 emails afterwards. But I responded to all of them. So I will respond eventually. It might take me two weeks, but I will respond. (laughs) Uh, We'll be looking for you on Twitter. I'm a big Twitter person. A lot of my listeners (laughs) are as well. So yeah, it's it's so great for language teachers. So as we are about to say our goodbyes, I always like teachers to take away something really actionable, a great piece of actionable advice when it comes to our topic today of using choice in their classroom. What advice would you give them? Start small and manageable and get student feedback. That could be talking to your students. That could be having them fill out a quick form for reflection. But I think that the most important thing is to do something that's working for your students. So check in with your students and don't feel like you have to do everything at once. Excellent. Thank you very much for that. And that that piece of advice in there about the feedback from students, we often overlook that. So thank you for putting that forefront in your advice there. Thank you so much for your time today and sharing all these insights about choice with us. I've learned so much and I'm absolutely sure that lots of teachers listening have some wonderful takeaways for this. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun. What are your takeaways from that conversation with Maureen Lamb? I'm sure that we're all feeling inspired to provide choices for our students as we continue to build their confidence and motivation. Be sure to check out the show notes to connect with Maureen Lamb. You'll also see a link to sign up for Talking Points, my weekly email newsletter with tips and resources for language teaching. There are also links to get in touch with me if you'd like to work together, either in person in your school or remotely. Talk to you soon. Bye for now. You've been listening to the World Language Classroom Podcast. Be sure to follow or subscribe wherever you're listening so you don't miss a single episode. Let's continue the conversation on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at 
WL Classroom. You can also see over 250 blog posts about language teaching at, you guessed it, wlclassroom.com.